invite you to open your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament as we continue our journey through this book in our series, Avoiding the Trap of DIY Do-It-Yourself Spirituality. Uh, last time, we looked at what I called the first symptom of this really spiritual sickness of DIY spirituality. Um, and if you missed it, uh, just so you know, you can always go to our website, philida.org, and either listen to it or watching it. They're now there on video, and so you can uh, get caught up if you'd like. Today we're going to look at the second symptom of a DIY spirituality. Uh, this shows up in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and let's get right to it. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. For the message of the cross, that is the message of Christ's cross, Christ crucified on a cross for our sins, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and whenever Paul says that, he's always referring to Scripture, to the Word of God written. For it is written, this is the Lord speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? And he's here referring to the various experts, the elite of humanity. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, that is, the message of the cross, the message of Christ crucified, God was pleased to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Symptom number two of a DIY spirituality is valuing what people think over what God has said. Valuing what people think, human opinion above what God has said, what God has revealed to us. The thing you want to notice here is this contrast that we find in these verses between two things, between God's wisdom and between the, the wisdom of the world. These are two very different points of view. These are two 
different ways of answering life's big questions. And what this is telling us here is that these two ways, these two points of view, these two ways of answering life's big questions cannot be blended. You can't mix them. That would be like trying to blend fire and water. It doesn't work. When it comes to life's big questions, what do I mean by that? Okay, think of a question of values, okay? What's more important than what? Or a question of morality. What is good versus what is not good? Or a question of purpose. Why are you here? I don't mean in this room. Why are you on this planet? What is your life for? Okay, when it comes to those kinds of big questions, there are two very different sets of answers. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. And you have to choose. You can't have them both. You can't have it both ways. You can't rely on both. It doesn't, it's just not possible. But relying on both is apparently what the church in Corinth, the Christians in this Greek city of Corinth were trying to do. Uh, because they had apparently become very enamored with Greek philosophy. Because it was huge in their culture. You know, um, Greek philosophy was world famous. You ever heard of a guy named like Plato? Aristotle? We were talking big stuff here. And they, the world-famous philosophy and Greeks loved that. They loved to speculate about the big questions of life. And um, they really admired somebody who could think really deep thoughts and express them profoundly. And the Christians in Corinth were trying to take these deep thoughts from these Greek philosophers and blend them with the gospel, with the message of Christ crucified. Why would they do that? Why would they try to do that? To make the gospel better. And maybe even more importantly for them, to make themselves wiser. Wiser than you know, the average Christian, much more spiritual, you know, get up there on that higher plane. Now, I want to be clear what we're talking about here, okay? When verse 20 talks about the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world, okay, that's not talking about simply human intelligence, reason, and logic. Those are all good things. You know, there's this, there's this idea that reason and faith in Christ are, are in opposition to each other. That's just not true. That's not true. Reason is a good thing. Logic is a good thing. Um, think about it, okay? Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians. He expects them to use their brains when they read it. I mean, he's making arguments. He's giving them reasons. He's, he's expecting them to... To, to read what he says, to understand it, and to come to good conclusions. That's logic. That's reason. The wisdom of the world is something different. Here's what the wisdom of the world is. It's human speculation without God. 
intentionally leaving God out of the equation when you attempt to answer life's big questions. And when we do that, the answers we come up with are not only mistaken, they are directly opposed to God's wisdom, to God's answers. In other words, what you and I value when we leave God completely out of the equation, what we value without God is opposed to what God values. What we think is most important when we leave God out of the equation is opposed to what God says is most important. And on it goes. And the ultimate example of this is the gospel itself. God's wisdom says this. You know what the best message you could ever hear is? You know what the most important thing you could ever know is? Christ nailed to a cross for your sins. And you, that's the best news you could ever hear. And you not only need to believe it, you need to evaluate your entire life in light of it and build your whole life around it. To live your life in light of Christ crucified. And the world's wisdom says, that's crazy talk. That's nuts. So you try to blend the world's wisdom and God's wisdom, and you think, well, why would anybody do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe because you want to look cool. Maybe because you want people to think you're smart. Or maybe, you know, Maybe because you're trying to make the Bible more palatable, more acceptable to skeptics who, you know, scorn it. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, you like the answer from some expert in the world's wisdom. You like that answer better than you like God's answer. That can happen. So for whatever reason, you try to blend these two wisdoms it's always going to fail. It's like blending fire and water. One of them will prevail, and one of them will be the one you go with. You have to choose. You have to choose whose answers you're going to live by. And what we have here in this passage are some huge reasons why you want to choose God's wisdom every time. Go with God's wisdom over that of the world's experts. Here's one reason. The world's experts cannot help you know God. The world's experts can't help you know God. They can't do it. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. In other words, no amount of human ingenuity, no amount of deep pondering, deep thinking, no amount of that will ever bring you to the place of knowing God, of knowing who he really is, and of actually knowing him personally. Why not? 
Because apart from God telling us who he is, apart from God revealing and disclosing who he really is to us, we're just guessing. We're just guessing. The Bible claims over and over, okay, you've got to know this. You've got to understand this about the Bible, okay? The Bible claims over and over to be telling us things from God about God. That's the claim. Now, you might decide, well, you don't really believe that, but you have to, you have to recognize that's the claim over and over again. The Bible claims to be telling us things from God about God. So first or second Peter chapter 1 verse 20 the apostle Peter says above all you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation for prophecy look at it never had its origin in the will of man never but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the consistent claim throughout all of Scripture. To know God, to really know God, you have to know what he said. You have to know what he said about himself. Does it matter? Does it matter if you know God? It matters more than anything else. It matters more than anything else. You might not feel that way this morning. You might not agree with that. And I'm telling you with everything I can say, it matters. It matters more than anything. Notice in verse 21. Notice, okay, we, we just read it. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Okay, that's on one side. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. <laughs> to save those who believe. Do you see the contrast here? The contrast, knowing, not knowing God is the opposite of being saved. Now, saved is one of those religious words, gets tossed around. Christians like to talk about being saved, getting saved, whatever. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means being rescued. It means being delivered. From what? From our condition of not knowing God. It's being delivered from our condition of being separated from Him. Delivered from our condition of being excluded from His goodness. Delivered from living without Him. And then in verse 18, it says that being saved is the opposite of perishing. So, going back, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. So being saved is the opposite of perishing. Well, how serious is that? How serious is that? So look at the options that are being set before us here. The options are not knowing God and perishing Knowing God and being saved. Do you see it? Do you see I'm not making this up? Not knowing God, perishing. Knowing God, being saved, being delivered. Jesus prayed this in John 17. This is eternal life. 
Now, when the Son of God says, this is what eternal life is, we want to listen. What is it? What is eternal life? He says that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah whom you sent. Knowing God is eternal life. And the point here is, if you want to know him, if you want eternal life, if you want not to perish, the experts of the world's wisdom can't help you. Why? Because they don't know him. They don't know him. They're re- you, know, you say, well, why... why Because they're relying on their wisdom. That's the wisdom of the world. That's what it means. They're relying on their own wisdom, and their wisdom can't get them there. It just doesn't work. Knowing God is a God thing. Knowing God is a God thing. It says it pleases God to save. It makes God happy to save whom? In, and what do we mean by save? Well, to bring people into a genuine knowing of him. We've seen that. It pleased God to bring people into a genuine knowing of him. How? By believing. To save those who believe. Now, why would that please God? Why would it please God to do it that way? To save those who believe. To bring people into a knowledge of him by believing. You know what the answer is? Pleases God to do it that way to eliminate any possibility of human boasting. To eliminate any possibility of human bragging. Oh, would we do that? Look at Ephesians 2:8. For by grace, you know what grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. God's honor and favor. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There it is, through believing. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Knowing God is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Gifts are received. They're not achieved. It's a gift, not a result of works. Why? So that no one can boast. Nobody. Listen, If you can't do a thing to save yourself, and you can't, if you can't do a thing to save yourself, but you can only trust in what Jesus has done for you, you can't brag about it. You can't brag about it. I've used this illustration before. Imagine you're out in the ocean, and you get caught in a riptide, and suddenly you're done. You cannot swim. You cannot get back to shore. You're going down, and a lifeguard comes out. And that lifeguard grabs you and drags your sorry rear end back to shore. And you lay there gasping with breath, for breath. What you don't do is turn to the people around you and say, see what I did? <laughs> see that? See how I let the lifeguard save me? Wasn't that impressive? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. If you can't do a thing to save yourself, but can only trust in what Jesus has done for you, You can't brag about it. You can't say, oh yeah, the reason I know God, the reason I know God, the reason I have eternal life is because of how wise I am. 
because of how good I am, because of how religious I am, because of how much of the Bible I know, how repentant I am, how hard I try, how many good things I do. No! No! The cross of Christ completely nullifies all human merit. When it comes to knowing God, nobody has an edge. Nobody has an edge based on who they are or what they've done. And this, <laughs> this is completely contrary to human wisdom. This is why the gospel drives people crazy. They hear it and they think, no, ah, that's just not right. That's not right. It's too easy. Believe in Jesus. That's too easy. And it's not fair. It's not fair. Are you telling me are you telling me that when it comes to knowing God and being right with God and having God's approval, are you telling me that my neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus, my neighbor who is a really good person and does really good things, are you telling me that when it comes to knowing God and being right with God, are you telling me my good neighbor has absolutely no advantage over some murderer on death row who puts their faith in Jesus? Are you telling me that? No. I'm not telling you that. Jesus told us that. Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, good people, and looked down on everybody else, the bad people, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Now, when you hear that, this is what you should think. Oh, good guy. Really, really good guy. Very much admired. Pharisee and the other, a tax collector. And you should think, ooh, bad guy. Really, really bad guy. Drug dealer. <laughs> Sells drugs to little kids. Really. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Here's the good guy. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. I tell you, okay, this is Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God, right with God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's what Jesus said. And we struggle with this. 
don't we? We do. This is why, this is why many of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us at times, we hesitate to share the gospel with our good neighbors, our nice neighbors, our nice coworkers. We struggle to believe that they really can't be okay with God without Jesus. Now that doesn't mean, by saying that, that doesn't mean that people who don't believe in Jesus, who don't believe in the Bible, that doesn't mean they're wrong about everything. That's not the point. Not at all. There's a lot of things we can know. There's a lot of things we can learn from creation by using the minds God has given us. But when it comes to really knowing God, you can't get there on human wisdom. You need God's wisdom. You need Christ crucified for you. See, God just doesn't do things the way we think he should. Have you noticed that? He doesn't do things the way we think he should. Paul talks about two kinds of people in his day. People who tried to figure out God based on what made sense to them. Jews, he said, look for signs. See, they expected Messiah to show up doing miracles, but not just any miracles. The kind of miracles they wanted, you know, like kick Rome out of the promised land. That's what they wanted. Do the Moses thing, you know, plagues. Because they knew. They just knew that's how God would do it. They knew it. So they were constantly demanding that Jesus do some kind of miracle to prove he was the Messiah, but it had to be the right kind of miracle, you know, just bringing a dead guy back to life, that wasn't good enough. And Greeks, they looked for wisdom, he says. They just knew that if God ever showed up on earth, he would hang out with the wisest, the most sophisticated, the most educated people on the planet, and they would talk philosophy. That's what God would do. See, they wanted, they wanted intellectual proof of God's existence. And these, these two kinds of people are still with us. Those who want miraculous displays and those who want intellectual proofs beyond any doubt. And the problem is no proof is ever enough. Why is that? Jesus did all kinds of miracles. Jesus blew people away with his wisdom, and there were people who still weren't convinced. Do you know why? It's because a lack of proof wasn't the problem. What was? Well, that's the second reason why choosing God's wisdom, preferring God's wisdom, going with God's wisdom over the experts of the world, because the world's experts can't fix your biggest flaw. <laughs> oh, man. The world's experts can't fix your biggest flaw. Now, you have flaws. Everybody knows it. Those who are closest to you know exactly what they are, just as those closest to me know what my flaws are. Right? We've all got flaws. Everybody's got flaws. And you almost certainly know what almost all of yours are. If I said, okay, take out a piece of paper and list your flaws, you'd have no problem listing most of the things that everybody agrees are your flaws. But you might miss your biggest flaw because it's really hard to see. So is mine, and it's the same flaw. It's the same flaw. 
Uh, we can see it in others easier than we can see it in ourselves. Do you know what it is? Your biggest flaw, my biggest flaw? Arrogance. Arrogance. Lack of humility. The tendency to assume you know best. And if your first reaction when you hear me say that is to say, what? I'm not arrogant. How dare you? You just proved my point. You just proved the point. And it's this lack of humility, this lack of humility that just comes so naturally to us that explains why people rejected Jesus in spite of his miracles, in spite of his wisdom, and why people still do. It's almost never, the problem is almost never a lack of evidence. It's never the evidence. Well, it's not never. It's almost never the evidence. The problem is almost always the arrogance. Now, there are genuinely people, God's working in their life and bring them, and they just, they need some evidence, and the evidence comes, and it's like, yes, I believe. Because, you know, the Bible's full of reasons to believe. You know, the resurrection is the biggest one. But most of the time, the problem isn't the evidence, it's the arrogance. Because you know, do you know who the expert is that you're most inclined to rely on? The expert you're most inclined to take seriously? The expert you're most inclined to go with? It's you. You're that expert. And when it comes to the big questions of life, this is crazy. But it's this truth. We consider ourselves fully capable of examining all of the evidence impartially and coming to the correct conclusion. That is not what the Bible says about us. That is not what the Bible says about us. When it comes to God and his ways, we're not impartial. We're not impartial at all. We're biased toward what we want to be true. We're biased for what we want. The heart leads the mind. We like to think that, no, we're all objective and we're all about the evidence, we're all about the facts, we're all about the arguments. No, we're not. We're all about our hearts. Where the heart leads, the brain follows. You've seen this. You've seen people making ridiculous decisions and you talk to them and you say, hey, this is crazy. What are you doing? And they say, oh, no, no, this makes perfect sense. You know why? It's because it's what they want to do. We do that. And if you don't know that about yourself, if you do not know that about yourself, you're going to be way too inclined to listen to your own advice. Listen to how Romans 3.10 describes us apart from God's gracious influence in our life. Listen, there is no one righteous, not even one, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. So if you're seeking God, it's because God is at work in you. And this is why Proverbs 3.5 has to tell us. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. When we read things in the Bible, we should, we should probably go, I wonder why it has to tell us that. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Why does it have to tell us that? Because leaning on our own understanding is exactly what we're inclined to do, naturally, on our own. And when the big questions of life come up, leaning on our own understanding is what the world's wisdom tells us to do. See, arrogance, arrogance is a huge problem for us. <laughs> it's a huge problem for us. It messes up our lives in so many ways. You just take some time later and think about it. See, arrogance is why you don't listen when you should. It's like the guy who said, I don't know, my wife says, uh, my biggest problem is I don't listen to her or something, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> it's why we don't listen. Arrogance is why we get into stupid arguments. Arrogance is why we hurt the people we love the most. It's our arrogance. And arrogance, arrogance is why you think you know what God should do and why you get mad at him when he doesn't do it. That's arrogance. Arrogance will keep you from knowing God. It will keep you from trusting God. It will keep you from delighting in God. Arrogance will keep you from worshiping God and from trusting him with every area of your life. Arrogance will keep you from ultimate joy until you admit it and begin to turn from it. Human wisdom can't help you with this. Human wisdom can't help you with this. Why? Because human wisdom is infected with this. <laughs> the world's experts will never tell you, oh, you know what you need to do. They're not going to quote Proverbs 3, 5 to you. You need to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding. That's what you need to do. The world's experts will never tell you that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The world's experts will never tell you, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you know what the one and only cure for your arrogance is? Christ crucified for you. Jesus Christ crucified for your sins for your arrogance, for your delusion that you're competent to decide all the big questions of life for yourself. And when God breaks through, when God breaks through and you finally realize that Christ crucified for you is your only hope, that's when things begin to change. Because Christ crucified undermines all human arrogance. No human expert could ever have come up with this plan. You know, to give us life, to give us joy, to give us purpose, to give us freedom, to give us the knowledge of God. How? Through a crucified Messiah. That's crazy. That's a contradiction in terms. Messiah means conqueror. Victor, crucified, loser, failure. The message of Christ crucified makes zero sense to the world. But to those whom God has called, to those 
who believe in his foolish message, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the world says, what? What are you talking about? Power? What could be weaker? What could possibly be weaker than a man nailed to a cross? Wisdom? What could possibly be more foolish than trusting a guy nailed to a cross to deliver you from death? From hopelessness? From misery? And lead you to ultimate joy? Are you kidding me? No. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ died. Don't run over that word too fast. For Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. To bring you to God. That is the gospel. That is God's foolish message. That's how you come to know God. That's how God begins to transform you. When you put your hope in Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. And that's the choice. Whose wisdom are you going to go with? You're going to go with God's wisdom, what God has said? Or are you going to go with the best guesses of the world? And it's not just that initial choice. I mean, that's where it starts. It starts... Lord Jesus, you're my only hope. I can't fix my sins. I can't fix my own arrogance. I can't even see my own arrogance so many times. But Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, you said you came, you died on a cross to give me life, to give me forgiveness, to free me from my shame, to give me God. Do it. It starts there. And then every day, it's the decision. Whose wisdom am I going with today? As I face life's big questions, whose wisdom am I going to rely on? You make that decision again and again and again. I want to invite you to pray with me. If you're here this morning and you have never yet taken that first step because you've never really realized that you've been relying on yourself and on your wisdom and on your goodness and your attendance and your ability to do it. And yeah, you've heard Christ crucified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's never felt to you like it's your one and only hope of knowing God. It's your one and only hope of being set free from arrogance. Then today I would plead with you because what that means, if today you're realizing that means God's breaking through. That's what that means. And it says, he is pleased. He is delighted to save those who believe. And so you just tell him you believe right now and he will save you. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to anybody else. If right now you know God is saying, believe, reach out, 
call on my name. Call on the name of Jesus and I will save you. Do it. If you realize that as a believer in Christ, you've made that profession of faith, but you just keep defaulting to your own understanding and relying on your own understanding. If there's a big question in life right now and you're answering it the wrong way because you think you're competent and you're not crying out to God for his wisdom and, and looking at his word and saying, show me your way, then ask him to help you do that. I'm going to just be quiet and give you a minute to pray. Oh God, grant us the grace to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and trust you to exalt us in your proper time. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ crucified for us. Amen.